Good afternoon, and welcome to a very special edition of Music Speaks Deep Dive Series. Today, we will be talking to Nora and Darlene, fellow podcasters from Anchor and hosts of Coloring the Melody, a podcast described by them as female music teachers of color discussing the realities of life and aiming to break the norm in education. The mission is to contribute a different voice and topics such as music, education, faith, and multiculturalism. Darlene is a Filipina American elementary school teacher and piano teacher. Her favorite hobbies are exploring boba shops, shopping recycled fashion, watercoloring, and embarrassing herself on TikTok. Some fun facts about her, she was born and raised in San Francisco Bay Area, loves collecting pins from Disneyland, and is passionate about purposeful and relevant teaching. Nora, as a Hispanic elementary school music educator, Nora teaches at two Spanish dual immersion schools. Her hobbies include exploring new coffee shops, journaling, reading, and serving God as a worship leader. Some fun facts about her. She's one of six children, loves spending time with family and friends, enjoys traveling when there is time, and most importantly, loves teaching music and the concept of worship. We are so excited to have them on the show, and without further ado, let's welcome Nora and Darlene to our podcast. All right. Hey, Darlene. Hey, Nora. How's it going? Good. Good, good, good. (laughs) Extremely hot. Yeah. It's so... It's so great to, get, to have you guys here today. Um, we have so much to talk about, and uh, I want to get as much as I can. And um, like the beginning of your show, I actually want to ask a question for both of you, sort of a small, easy question, um, or maybe not so easy. I'm not really sure. So my first question is, what are you both listening to right now? Nora, you go first. <laughs> In, in regards to podcasts or just in general? How about Ooh, music? Good... What are you listening to right now? Oh, okay. Well, I love Nora Jones and a Spanish uh, singer too, Natalia Laforcard. So, yeah, I tend to listen to both of them a lot, actually. <laughs> and you, darling? Okay, so... I'm going to kind of twist my answer to this. I'm the kind of person, or I would, I should say, the kind of music teacher that doesn't listen to a lot of music. <laughs> I do, but I like, I, people assume that, oh, you're a music teacher. You must like listen to so much music. But then I go, well, you're a math teacher. Do you do like algebra problems on the side? Like, just because, no, but um, lately I've been watching The Masked Singer. Ah. season three so i've been kind of like this voice sounds like this person so i've been doing a lot of like analysis lately and listening to all these random artists and trying to match it up with these unicorns and these turtles <laughs> so if we're thinking currently that's currently what i'm listening to bunch of different people and trying to match the voice <laughs> to okay. the mask have you been successful with that actually yes and i'm not going to spoil one i here's the trick i had to look away to listen to the voice. So I remember like there was one one person, you know, and I thought I can't figure it out, can't figure it out and the judges were 
all over the place. And I remember looking away and working on something and there was a specific riff the artist did and I go, boom, it is that person. <laughs> but the, for the, but they couldn't, the get, judges couldn't guess it. And so I'm, I'm here waiting for them to unmask it. And when he unmasked himself, I was like, oh, I've been right this entire time. So I've been using that as my strategy, looking away. And I think right. it's helping. Don't know. I think I think I caught one episode this season where Sarah Palin was on. Have you seen that yes. episode? Yes. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. Yep. No one and she, expected that. What did, what did she sing? I think she was like. I think she sang big butts. Yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy because usually when they and here we are spoiling the show for our listeners, but. <laughs> but usually, you know, kind of like the end of the episode, they go, and here's the person, you know, singing, right? And then they maybe right. show a clip of them singing it as the unmasked person. But they show Sarah singing the entire Big Bud song. And <laughs> my husband and I are watching like this, just like Jaws, like on the floor. <laughs> like, is this who we're really watching right now? <laughs> but yeah, so though, that's, that's what I'm currently listening and watching. <laughs> Perfect. And I hope I find this as a seamless transition because I want to ask both of you, was there a defining moment or educator that inspired you to become a music teacher? Maybe let's start with Nora this time. Sure. Yes, actually, my high school teacher. So random fact, I was, I started with band first. I was in drumline. And I play the quads and I, yeah. So I remember walking by, it was a summer camp, band camp. And then I saw the choir director like rehearsing with these singers. Mind me, I've never like sang in my life. So I just pass by and I pretend that I'm an opera singer because I hear these girls singing. And then like my high school teacher comes (laughs) out, she's like, who did that? And then I'm like, oh, I'm like pointing my friends. I'm like, it was them. And they pointed at me. And I was like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And then she pulls me and she's like, you have two options. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is that? And she's like, one, you join chorus and you'll sing a solo for the district. Or two, you'll get detention for the whole school year. And mind me, the school year had not started. And I had never <laughs> I had never been like in detention. So I was like, well, I'll join the choir. And I think that was the beginning of something that now look at me. I'm an educator, music educator. So I'm thankful for my choir teacher for sure. Very cool. (laughs) Darlene. So in high school, I actually wanted to be a film music composer. And I even remember the specific moment I wanted to be when I was watching Chronicles of Narnia and I remember the opening scene, I thought, oh, I want to be the person who creates the music in here. And then I even enrolled in this uh, music composition program for artists in, um, in California. And it was just this whole summer immersed in you know, different world music and different um, ensembles. And we would even spend like maybe I think it's almost six hours a day working in the composition lab and learning how to compose in different styles. And it was after that program where I thought, nope, this is not for me. I'm so glad I tried this out. Um, and so I remember talking to my theater teacher in high school, just super casual. And he was asking me what I was into. And I said, well, I thought I wanted to be a film music composer, but I don't think I want to compose anymore. And he goes, try looking into music education. That's all he said. 
and that planted the seed for where we are now. Yeah. I love listening to those stories because mm -hmm. I know everyone just has different ways of how they got into music. Like, it's funny you mentioned film music. For me, I got into music because of John Williams. And just listening to a bunch of like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And those were like through my dad when I was like, like maybe middle school, early high school. And I think um, at that point, I think I was just sort of targeting the trumpet because the trumpet for me was just something that just had that like edge and Hunter is a clarinet player. So I, I don't really know where, where he had that inspiration, but I think he has a next question for you guys. So Hunter, take it away. Yeah. So, um, you know, all music teachers, you know, they have to be certified obviously in various areas or have to show some sort of proficiency in many areas. Um, but, I think most really gravitate towards certain topics, whatever it happens to pique their interest. Do you both have fields you specialize in or have a particular interest in? Either one of you. I'll go, sorry. Wonderful. In case um, anyone's not currently looking, they're laughing over their muted microphones. <laughs> yeah, so I double majored in music education and piano performance. Oh. So piano um, is my main instrument. I studied piano ever since I was uh, seven years old. And the tricky thing with majoring in music education in the university I was at, uh, you could either go the instrumental route, which is very, you know, like symphony and orchestra based, and the, or the choral route, which is obviously what it is choral rock and i'm thinking i'm a pianist where do i go you know so for me right. i thought well i've never played in a symphony or band so i guess i'll do choir kind of thing so um the interesting the other interesting about those two um those two different tracks was that it was very secondary based too and so it took me until the very end of my student teaching semester where I thought I think I'd want to do elementary general music. Um, we did have, Nora and I went to the same university by the way, um, just so everyone knows. Mm. Um, yeah, so she and I, we took, you know, maybe a few general music classes and maybe one elementary music course, but that just wasn't enough for us to really delve into, you know, teaching the littles and understanding that there is a method in how to transfer music to these young ones and how to really establish a foundation for them and then when it got to student teaching for me I was like oh my goodness this is where I want to be at like yes I love working with high schoolers and getting to you know the the fine tuning of you know of their musicianship but there's just something also so joyful when you're with kindergartners and you see them go from uh, I can't feel the beat all of a sudden <laughs> they feel the beat and then we what's cool about our job as elementary teachers is we have this developmental relationship we see them every year so I have my current uh, class of sixth graders I've seen them since they were in first grade so mm -hmm. I've seen them go from like these squirrely little ones running around the carpet to oh my goodness now they're playing violin and or in orchestra and they're making mini compositions I'm thinking oh I helped you do that? That, that was me? I'm doing that. So that's, that's kind of where I didn't think my specialty would be in. If you had asked me 10, 10, 15 years ago, thinking, oh, I'm a pianist. You know, I guess I'm just going to teach piano for the rest of my life, which I do on the side. But yeah, 
elementary music for the little ones. That's that's my jam. Mm-hmm. Now my turn. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. So uh, Darlene and I kind of have a similar uh, route. I was also a double major, but I double major in music education and music and worship. The reason why I chose music and worship was because at that time I was a children's worship director and I still am. And I kind of mm. wanted to get the best of both worlds. I've always like loved teaching little kids. And just like Darlene mentioned, just seeing them grow as a person musically. And I think that's, it's such a gift to be a music educator, to walk with them and challenge them. And you see a talent, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to challenge you to do a little bit more. And then when you see them like in junior high or in high school, in my cases, I've been in ministry, like seeing them worship lead. It's, it's so amazing. You're like, wow, like I was part of that journey. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like till this day, the relationships that you build with your kids that they come up to you. And when they write like a little note, they always tell you like, thank you for being my first music teacher. You taught me how to read notes and now to mm-hmm. see them be the musicians they are is like, wow, what a, what a blessing it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's really, I mean, people I think tend to underestimate the, the value that an early education teacher will have. And, and mm-hmm. clearly, you know, unfortunately history has proven that the majority of people don't really understand just how important early education, whether it's in music, whether it's in uh, literacy, whether it's in math, it, the foundation needs to be there. So I, I, and I don't usually work with little kids. Uh, I'm more of the high school end of things, but you know, you can see the ones who really, by the time they get to my age, you know, the, where I work with them, it's very obvious who had a deep love for their, uh, you know, early education teachers or ones who have, like you, Nora, people outside of school who are working with them as well. And that helps them develop an interest in whatever it is that they're doing, Um, specifically music in this case. Um, And speaking of, because obviously you teach music, everyone who teaches music has their own philosophies, their own ideas on how to do that. So Sean, if you want to ask the next question, which has to do with that. Sure. So the next question is, when you both finally became music teachers, did your mindsets change around teaching music or working with students? Uh, How about Nora this time? Okay, can you repeat that question? Sorry, I got distracted. Don't worry, it happens to us all the time. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. Um, So... Did your mindsets change about teaching music or working with students? If that makes sense. Yes, it does. I think it's a a balance of both because music, you know, it's, it's crazy that you mentioned that because I'm actually doing my doctorate program and I am... Talking, yeah, I'm talking about, you know, how music benefits students like social and academic skills. Mm -hmm. It improves language development. You know, there's a benefit in, in like the physical aspect, the emotional, the intellectual, the social and academically too. So you are teaching a person, but the gift of us music educators is that we use music as a tool. 
So I, I, for me, that's why I feel like it's, it's a balance of, of both. Yes, you're teaching the child, but wow, what a gift. You're also like sharing what you love the most and it's through music. Mm-hmm. That was why. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Darlene, what do you think? Yeah, I'm looking at your question and I'm looking at your phrase when you both finally became music teachers. So then I think of back when I first became a music teacher, I mean, yeah, I thought, oh, I know all this content. Great, I'm ready to go. But once I stepped into the classroom, it was just classroom management. Like, oh my goodness, I have a thousand students I see every week. Who are you people? Like, I don't know all your names. And so all the other stuff that you don't necessarily have a lot of time to do um, in in your undergraduate work. Like that's when it just hit me hard. And so in terms of my mindset, I feel like my first year or second year teacher mindset was, I just need to survive. <laughs> I want to keep my job. Um, like I want to try to build relationships with these students and, and not only with my students, but also with my staff, with my administration, because you can have a great relationship with your students. Awesome. But if your if your colleagues don't like you or if your admin is like, eh, then that that's a little that's a little tough right there. And so now that, you know, I'm not in my first year, not in my second year, I feel like my mindset is constantly evolving. Is because there are always new things coming out in the education world, new buzzwords. And I feel that as educators, we shouldn't just, oh, look, there's a new thing that they're coming out with, a new study. Let's just implement it already in our classroom just because we can say we did it. But instead, look at that and go, hmm, is this really going to work for me? Is this really going to work for my content? Is this perfect for my students? Um, And I mean, there, there are so many layers to it, and especially in light of you know, the injustice with George Floyd, with Black Lives Matter, and then there's now this bigger push for more diversity and um, anti-bias, anti-racist teaching. And I feel like, personally, my mindset has really been shifted um, recently, Um, especially that, I mean, as music educators, you know, most of us have gone through a Western classical conservatory training. Nothing wrong with that. But then when that transfers to the classroom, to kids who aren't necessarily, you know, oh, yeah, like, I'm so down to study Mozart. No five-year-old's going to say that out loud. So I'm Mm. noticing, okay, like, I'm noticing I'm going to do some shifting in my teaching. So, yeah, for me, I'm seeing, like, mindsets tend tend to shift a lot. And when I do encounter teachers who are like, no, like, I'm fine the way it is, then I'm kind of, you know, challenge you a bit because kids nowadays are so different from when I was a kid like the things they find funny nowadays thinking wait you think that's funny so their humor is different the way they absorb information is different the world around us especially like the world we're in is very different so yeah that those are my thoughts constantly shifting mindsets you know, that's and an that's, interesting... Oh, I'm sorry, Sean. Go ahead. No, it's okay. No, Hunter was absolutely right. I think that's a very interesting thing to think about. And I think something that we can always think about is, oh, we can always be better. We can always listen. We can always learn about what we need to do better as a society. 
I need to ask you this quickly, Darlene, and Nora, you can jump on it if you want to. Um, what do you do when you find a teacher who is unwilling to change? What do you say to those teachers that would like to, can, like, maybe they don't really see the point in, in changing, if, that, if, that's, if yeah. that's okay? Yeah, that's I had a, a situation question. like this. Um, I was talking with some teachers and we were all thinking we don't know if we're going to have choir um, this year because we usually teach, uh, along with general music, we teach fifth and sixth grade choir. And we were thinking, ooh, I don't think we're even going to do choir because we know we're all going distance learning. And so we were having this conversation of, okay, let's rethink how we do choir. It's not just about creating a singing product and then showcasing it at the end there's so much you can do you can teach other musicianship skills you can talk about choirs you can talk about other singers you can even go more into vocal technique which for us we only see our kids 45 minutes once a week and that's not really a lot of time when it comes to preparing for a concert in like two months so a lot of it's just like here's the song <laughs> memorize it don't mess up. Okay, bye. <laughs> you know? So we were talking about <laughs> things like that. And then one of the teachers said, yeah, that's just not how I see choir, so I'm just not going to do it. And then at first, you know, my immediate reaction was fire in the, <laughs> in the back. Like, okay, okay, clo close-minded, I see. But then I thought, you know what? I need I need to listen more to, the per to this person. So I've been trying to put more of that perspective. Like, okay, like... There are some people who can probably adjust to technology and be really flexible with changes. And then there's some teachers like, no, like this whole distance learning thing is totally not what I expected. I've noticed that people who are very used to doing their own thing for the past several years, they're the ones who are really struggling the most when it comes now to online learning. And I feel that and I know Nora, we were kind of talking about this earlier, is that when we see those people, like, especially if they're our colleagues, it's our part of our responsibility as as their community, as their teacher community, is to listen to them, help them when they ask for help, um, and just kind of be that listening ear at for for that first part. Because sometimes, you know, some of those statements just come out of frustration. Um, that's pressure, very true. stress, and yeah, because I mean, that's how I first thought, like, oh, I can't do choir, great, like, the lag, I mean, of course, duh, but then, of course, it ha I did have to sit down and reflect and take some time to do that, and you can't expect everyone to be on the same kind of reflection pace as you are, so yeah, just being patient with other people and being that listening ear, so yeah, Nora, what are your thoughts on that? Well, going along with what you said, um, we can't assume that we know the other person's story or struggles. And I feel like it's so easy to just like, oh yeah, like this teacher doesn't want to try or she's being lazy or so forth. But like, we don't really understand the struggles that they're going through. And this is like, like Darlene mentioned, we talked about it. And I think we as educators, we need to like model what we expect our students to do. Like, and that is empathetic. Like ask them, well, can, can we help you? Like, is there any way that I can serve you or also set your boundaries, but be approachable because it's not an I thing. It's a we thing. If you know, especially if you're working in the district, you don't want a music educator 
to represent all music educators that they're not helpful, that they just kind of want to, you know what I mean? It's like you're representing a community of music educators. So we shouldn't take that lightly. So we should help our neighbor and make them see the bigger picture and that they're not alone more than anything. Wouldn't the world be a better place if people just listened once in a while? Uh, I don't know. I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 And especially on <laughs> Cough Cough on Facebook. <laughs> cough Cough. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> there should be like I... a little feature on Facebook, like before you comment, it should have a warning size that says, Did you sit down and take a couple deep breaths <laughs> and, and think just about... listened yeah, and thought about this? Kind of like, Are you sure you want to submit this? Like, we need something right. like that. <laughs> right. I think that's a mm -hmm. great, a great, a great topic. And we could obviously spend like another three or four podcasts on that alone. Um, <laughs> Darlene's cracking up right now. Um, uh, Hunter has a question about material. So I will actually bounce it over to him now. Yeah. And just real quick before I ask my question, um, just to your point, both of you, you know, my mother is a teacher and she teaches first grade and uh, she teaches in Bridgeport, which is the um, adjacent city to where we live. So it's the, it's like the big city, the biggest city in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, she is the oldest teaching, not oldest, but like longest teaching person in her building. So this is year 32 for her. And um, for her, she has found the problems that you're describing where people are unwilling to change, not that she herself has been doing that, but she has been encountering so many people who are putting so, so much resistance to like the things that, this, that the, either the building or the board of ed are asking them to do. And, you know, her, her philosophy is exactly what you just said, where it's like, you have to, you know, you, you have to listen, you have to understand their point of view, but to, to just blank, blanketly refuse without even trying, you know, who is that really benefiting? It's certainly not benefiting you because you're giving yourself an ulcer. And then it's certainly not benefiting the kids because the, the policies or the practices that you're trying to change might be beneficial to the kids. And if you're unwilling to even try, then that's sort of, you know, something you have to come to grips with. And, you know, most people would think with her being the longest teaching, she would be the one trying to do that. But she's actually found that a lot of the younger teachers who were brought up a certain way, they, they're unwilling to make the change. I don't know if you've seen that in, in your buildings, but um, it's an observation that she's made uh, in the past. But anyway, on to the actual question, which was that, if you're working with a student who's struggling to appreciate the material, what do you do to help them get involved or a part of the discussion? Because I think we've all sort of been there where it's like you're talking to the students, no matter what age they are, and there are ones who are interested and there are ones who aren't, or ones who feel connected to it and ones who don't. So what do you do when you encounter those students? There are a million things going through my brain. I don't know about you, Nora. <laughs> like, I see this question, Overload. and I'm thinking, like, I'm getting, like, like a data like, going through. Mm -hmm. um, Nora, what do you think? I kind of want to – I feel like Nora and I are almost on the same playing field on this one. Yeah. <laughs> We're probably right. <laughs> but um, I think the biggest thing is, like, 
assess your child, what is he or she struggling with. It's important for an educator to take time to know um, his or her kiddos. The reason why is because like, let's say that you have a learner that is a visual learner and you are not putting a lot of images for them to comprehend, then you are not helping the child. Or for instance, like we can't also going back to the assumptions, we cannot assume, Oh, I explained it once the kid is going to get it. Like you need to take time in explaining it in different ways. That way you are able to like help each child, but like in the classroom and more than, more than anything, it's important for you, for the educator to create a safe place where kids are like, when they don't get something that they'll be like, um, I don't, I really don't understand what you're saying. Can you like explain it again? So by creating a safe place, by providing visuals, repetition, um, if, if the child needs a one-on-one, um, time then you need to make sure that you're available i don't know for me like one thing that i appreciated of my music educators like in high school was that they opened their classroom during lunch before after school Mm -hmm. they made themselves available and i think that's the key to one build relationship and two for your kid to succeed and i think that's why you, you, as an individual, you'll challenge yourself. Oh, I don't get it. So let me, let me do my best, you know, as a student to, to, to challenge myself to understand the concept. Uh, But that also uh, reflects a lot on the teacher. Like was the teacher, like I mentioned before, like is, is he or she available, approachable, relational? I think those components are so important to help a child. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you, Nora, on that. That's what I thought. I think we're on the same level here. Um, Totally vibing with you on making sure you have a relationship with the kids. Because when I think of the question like, oh, they're struggling with the material, some people think, oh, it's the material's fault. It's the content. And I go, "Mm, hold up. Teaching is more than just taking the content (laughs) and smashing it into their brains. (laughs) Not that I teach that way. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think, okay, what's the learning environment like? You know, especially Mm -hmm. with digital learning and virtual learning, I think, okay, well, before teaching that specific concept had, did you take the time to check in with that kid? You know, Um, like what if that kid is having just the roughest day or like they have, what if they're, you know, in a Zoom call with you, but they're, well, I don't know, they're hopefully not, but like their parents are fighting in the background or, you know, they didn't have the chance to eat their lunch yet. You know, there could be so many factors. And then if you haven't taken the time to check in with that, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, we have to learn, you know, time signature and that the top number means, you know, all this. And you think, oh, they're not getting it. Of course they're not getting it because they their minds aren't ready for learning yet. Um teacher has not taken the time to be like hey like how are you doing how's everything and if definitely if their learning environment is not ready for that then they're not going to be ready to to absorb what you're trying to teach them so just like what Nora mentioned it's it's really important from the beginning to make sure teachers can build that trust with their students Um, teachers make sure that their students also trust each other that they they really feel in tune with their community and then from there I feel that the material will you know naturally be 
start to be more appealing. And also, if you have that relationship with your students, I also feel that they would be honest and say, nah, Mrs. M, this wasn't cool. <laughs> like, I didn't like it. And they would be honest. And with that, I see that when people, when my kids say that, I go, okay, good. Thank you for telling me that because I don't want to force you to learn about Baroque music right now <laughs> if you don't like it, you know? Um, but there are some students who may not feel like they have that relationship with their teacher, and then they may feel afraid to say these things because they don't feel comfortable telling that. But here they are being <laughs> miserable <laughs> with what the, whatever they're learning. So, yes, yeah, so I feel that, yes, like, definitely look at the material, but also see beyond that. See, um, see how you've built that foundation with your students and the environment that you have um, in your classroom or virtual classroom. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you said that, about, uh, Darlene, about the environment. And like you said, there are tons of factors that, that go into contributing to a student's mindset if they're ready to learn or not. And again, you know, I, I didn't, I mean, I participated a little bit in distance learning because I was doing a long-term subbing position. But for the most part, I was sort of living vicariously through my mother while she was doing distance learning. Um, and the biggest problem that she found, and I mean, it seems like an obvious thing, but a lot of people don't think about it. She said about the environment is if the student, you know, when you see the commercials online for like the online learning, even before the COVID world, you know, the, the kids are at a table and they have their stuff in front of them and they're doing things and whatever. But it's very difficult to teach when you've got three kids on, let's say the Zoom call, and one of them is rolling on the floor with their pet, and the other one's mother is sitting next to them giving them the answers, and the other one, the mother's on the phone, you know, or the father's on the phone call in the background, or talking to the kid, and you're like, okay, because this would happen in the classroom, of course. Um, it, it also, you know, given this, the student's circumstances, there is a little bit of ownership that the student has to take on the part of their learning. You know, whatever would be expected of you in the classroom, as, as teachers, I think we have to show them that the same is expected at home. Obviously, the environment is totally different, not the same at all, but there is a level of, um, I'm gonna call it decorum. I don't know if that's the exact word I wanna use that you as the student, no matter what grade level you are, even though you're home, it doesn't mean it's a free for all. Obviously there are some things out of their control, like you said, you know, where it's like they, they can't necessarily, dep especially depending on their age, they can't control how their household is run. And I think that adds to the difficulty of distance learning, particularly for something like music where, you know, it, it, it's so participatory that if you're not into it, you're not gonna get as much out of it. I don't know if you guys have experienced those kind of problems for this past year, particularly. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. Uh, what you just described with, you know, kids rolling around in the background, I've seen pets like go across the screen <laughs> and I go, what happened to Johnny? They're like, oh, that's a kitten's butt. Like, <laughs> like okay, never mind. Um, and I totally agree with you in the whole like try to have a certain, you know, like zoom etiquette but i've also noticed that you know with these kids like we can't i think of us being in zoom meetings and 
come on. There have been times where we turned our cameras off and times when we'd be like, oh, sure, we're paying attention. But in the corner of our eye, we're like texting in the corner. So how do we expect, you know, little seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds to do the same thing? Um, so I feel like, yes, we want to make sure you know, we try to train them. And, okay, when you're learning, you want to have this space, but there has to be this element of grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's some things that they can't control. And I was having a conversation with another another Instagrammer named Michelle Rose, and she's actually a virtual music teacher. Ah. Obviously, she teaches at a at a virtual school. And with her, she doesn't because I've had teachers tell me, "Oh no, I want my students to all have their cameras on." And for her, she goes, "I don't require them to turn it on because I have alternative ways for them to show that they're participating without showing their face, things like that." And I've had that happen to me in the past too, where I would have students contribute to Google Doc, and there have been times where I'd be teaching sixth grade to a group of black squares, but I see them typing along. Um, on the stock. So I go, perfect. Okay, you're participating. Now, obviously, like, if I go, hey, Johnny, and I don't receive a response, then I'm going, yeah, okay, you're definitely playing Call of Duty or something, right? Yeah. So, and then that, you know, those are things you just take note of. But I feel, yeah, it's a tricky thing when we talk about classroom environment, but you can't control what's on the other side. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. And... Well, nah, I, I, I have no good transit. I usually try to make a nice transition, but this is not going to happen. <laughs> I didn't do, know like, how to do that. weird music, like do-do-do. Exactly. We'll, we'll overlay it over the top of this. Um, I just want to make sure that we get to our next uh, set of questions, which has to do with views on representation in the field, which is something I know you guys wanted to talk about. Um, but I'll, let, I'll turn it over to Sean to sort of start it. Sure. I, I wanted to say quickly that you guys have the best transitions in the biz of transition music. It's so what? good. Wait, our music? Your You're music. Kidding. It's so good. Like, Shout I out love to how... Soundtrap. Like, that was all Soundtrap. Soundtrap. <laughs> Man, I must be a grandma because I don't know how to use Soundtrap. <laughs> no, but... no. Maybe, maybe an aunt. No, not quite a grandma. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, soundtrack. Those were those were accurate. all loops. Those were all just loops. I just kind of like meh, layer meh, and then change change the key here meh, and then <laughs> thought, well, here we go. I guess this is it. If, <laughs> but thank you that I thought, well, when we make this, this is it is what it is. <laughs> right. No, it it sounds beautiful, and I, I wanted to mention to you that I've listened to all three of your podcasts. <gasps> oh, your stories, your experiences have been beautiful. I've been looking forward to them every week i've been listening and wanting to catch up with you guys and i feel like you guys have a lot to say and it's just so amazing and there's so many things i could talk to you about but i I wish you guys could come back and we can continue talking about this but my question is what is one misconception about representation field or in this room maybe nora do you want to start yeah absolutely Well, uh, Darlene, in one of our podcasts, mentioned that there's not a lot of music educators who are people of color. And it's true, but obviously, like, our goal is to change that, right? But I think it also has to do a lot with the community, because I have to say, like, I'm not ashamed that when I was younger, I came from a low income, um, status like my parents 
only would give us what they had. And my dream, I mean, my drum set was like pots and pans. I will set them like in the living room and, and my sticks were, were my mom's like, like, uh, like cooking, uh, spoons. And I remember just like watching like videos because like, I love drums. That's like my first instrument. So I remember like, just like practicing and just trying to get that beat. So I had to teach myself. And when I was in, in, in elementary and junior high, I didn't have the option to take music as an elective because it was uh, the, the teachers were, made the decision for me that I needed to take a ELD class or, or, you know, that second language class because, well, I, my first language is Spanish. So I was learning to speak English. So for me, that was like that opportunity was not given to me. So the first time that I entered a music classroom was my sophomore year of uh, of high school and i remember uh my high school teacher saying like wow you're so good at picking like the music wow you are a fast sight reader until <laughs> until the teacher like pulled me aside oh nora can you please read this and then i'm like okay uh... <laughs> If you've never seen the movie Drumline, you have to watch it. Well, that was me. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes. Um, what note is that? It's, it's, it's a quarter note, right? He's like, yeah, can you please read that for me? Even like a four by four, like, like ta, 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 ta. I was like struggling, like reading that, you know? <laughs> um, but I think that just goes to show the lack of ref representation you don't see a lot of music educators that are hispanic and i feel like that has to contribute to that because well they were not given that opportunity i had to work twice as hard than my music peers um and yeah like i had there were times that i didn't even like sleep because i had to practice make sure that i was prepared for my recitals and and things like that which i'm so thankful for that journey and I overcame so many barriers and yeah, like, anyways, that's my story. That's how I would answer your question. <laughs> Darlene. Well, one misconception that I feel some people might think is, oh, the reason why we don't see a lot of Asians as music teachers is because they're all into science. They're all into math and Ooh, I'm going to, I could go hard into this, but I'm not going to. Because, again, that would be another episode. <laughs> and we did touch a little bit of this in episode two, Breaking Stereotypes, where I briefly talk about the model minority myth. And then I kind of narrow it down, especially with Filipino music teachers, because Asia is a continent, come on. So I have to be very specific when it comes to like my specific um, race. And so, yeah, sometimes people ask me, oh, well, you're Filipino. So like, I must have seen your aunt, like in the hospital. And at first I wouldn't get it because I'm thinking, like, what do you mean? Like, I don't have that many family members, <laughs> like thinking it literally. And they go, oh no, it's a joke because you know, Filipinos are nurses. And I'm like, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, this whole stereotype that, oh, Asians are just supposed, supposed quote unquote, to be into the arts, into the sciences. And yes, there are Asian people who have their strengths in that, but that if we're stereotyped into that, then when you encounter people, Asians, Asian people, or even Filipino people who are very artistic, very creative, there's this kind of perception of, 
oh, like, you're not, you're not really Asian. Like, you're supposed to be good at math. That, that's weird. You got an F on that test. Like, that's odd. Or what? You failed chemistry? But come on, like, your aunts did that. And that is just so damaging when we have that perspective, that mindset. And so that's been something that I even encountered growing up, thinking, huh, like, I'm very creative, but the Asians around me are very into the sciences. Like, and, and I would think, am I even Asian enough? Like, and just that whole idea even transfers into, uh, into people, too. And so I feel like that's a really big misconception. That just, like, has to be torn down dramatically period and so yeah part of the reason why i think there just isn't a lot of representation is because of that that myth the model minority and nora and i are here to chisel that slowly and surely <laughs> i love that i think i i think the first lesson uh the first podcast that i listened to was episode two listening to you guys talking about breaking stereotypes and something that sort of like stood with me was when Nora when you were talking about being in a gang and I was just listening to it and just kind of just just not trying to understand but just listen and just trying to think about how tough that was for you um do you mind if I ask you a question about that real quick yeah go for it (laughs) sure um so you said that you use that experience to uh you came out of that experience getting closer to God and you found that sort of connection um, did that encourage your studies into worship and, and music? Yes, it did. Uh, so just to kind of just uh, mention where I grew up, it's known as like the ghetto, right? <laughs> so you like every corner you see like people in gangs, you see them tatted up, they're bald, they're doing drugs and things like that. That's where I grew up. And I also grew up in a Christian household. So for me as a young person, it's like, yeah, like you have parents that that are such good people and are trying to to raise their children to fear God, because I'm one of six children. So for me, it was it, it was such a lonely world in a young at a young age, like seeing like your friends, not your friends, but like people that you want to hang up, like hang out with. And they're not, how can I say, they're not a good example. So for me, that's where, where at a young age, I was like really battling back and forth. Should I do the right thing or should I like fit in, you know? And I think that's a lot of things that, questions that kids ask themselves who grow up in a low uh, income community. And for me, it's just like the reason why I pursued education and, and pursued uh, worship was because I wanted to provide um, that education, that safe place for my kids at church, um, especially for the Hispanic community. I, like we mentioned prior, like I didn't have private lessons. So I'm teaching, I'm giving them that opportunity to learn music at a very young age to save them from those decisions because who, who knows? I probably would be in a gang. And it's very unfortunate, but the girl that I talk about in the episode, uh, it's it's sad, but she can't go out. You know what I mean? Like if she does, like she gets beaten. And, and these are things that, that 
they can't talk about. There are rules that you need to follow when, when you're in a game. And, you know, I'm going to talk about something very, very uh, delicate too, which I think it's important for the audience to know, but there's different ways for people to get initiated in gangs. One, you get hit by all the gang members, or one is just like, if you're a woman and it's like the gang members are all men, then you have to get raped by all the men. But it's just like, it's sad to even like think of, of what God saved me from, you know, like I didn't, I didn't talk about it in, in the, in the episode, but I even said this, that um, the moment that I, w- that I had, okay, you know what, I'm going to join the gang. The night prior, the way that I got my butt kicked was that they confused me with another gang member. What they did is like, I was walking home and they were like, oh, um, like, that's the girl, that's the girl. And they pulled me and then they just started pushing me around. Mind me, I was in junior high, okay? They're pushing me back and forth. It's like, where are you from? Declare yourself, declare yourself. Because that's what they, they want to know what gang, uh, what part of a gang is the name. And I was like, wait, undeclared, undeclared, I'm not in a gang. It's like, no, yes, you are. And they just started hitting me. The moment that they threw me down to the cement, right? The girl grabs my head and she's about to bang my head to the cement. They, she looked at me and she's like, oh, we got the wrong girl. And they just left. And then the next day, um, I was, that was when I was going to get initiated. The girls were like, well, you don't have to get initiated. We'll just let you. And I was like, no, I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be part of this world. And now I look back and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to use my story to save a lot of kids from making that decision. So yes, it did help me define um, my calling to be an educator. So I wanted to thank you for saying that because that story that you said was just so powerful. I didn't want to gloss by it because it was just something that just impacted me when I was listening to it. I was on a walk and I just wanted just to sort of really inhibit what you were saying. And I think it was just so powerful. I just want to listen to that. Um, I want to give the next question to Hunter because I think he also wants to talk about how to... Yes, Hunter, I will actually let you take that away. I'm not sure how to segue it correctly. <laughs> Hunter. <laughs> Um, so yeah, my question, you know, we, you know, people talk a lot about, you know, making, you know, we've been saying on this about how to ensure um, diversity and equal representation amongst, in this case, specifically the music education field. Um, how do you feel the best way to do that is? How do you feel the best way by which um, teachers of what are considered non-diverse backgrounds can be culturally sensitive in teaching? Because I feel like that's a question that people, you know, they, they, a lot of people talk about, but often don't have an answer to. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious as to what you feel the best way to do that is. Well, one shortcut way is to just go on Teachers Pay Teachers, type in world music songs. Oh, look, a pre-made lesson plan and then go, okay, I'm already doing it. But that is, I feel like that's definitely obviously the shortcut way. And I mean, anyone can do that. Anyone mm-hmm. can just, you know, print off a bunch of free things or cheap um, materials online and just say they've done they've done a diverse lesson. But being culturally sensitive, culturally responsive, incorporating diverse work is more than just, you know, something you check off a list. Mm-hmm. For Very for true. me, I realized that the absolute 
first and important step that has to be done before even looking at your laptop for resources is doing the internal work first and understanding your position, your privilege, your prejudice, your bias. I mean, there's there's a lot of just a lot of inner stuff that just has to be seen first before looking at material because whatever you bring, um, you're going to see you know, different songs and different um, repertoire through that specific lens. And the thing with some material that's out there, um, there could be there could be songs from, let's say, oh, I don't know, um, Germany or songs from Turkey. But it turns out that the pronunciation is Americanized or the translations are wrong. So if we go for the approach of, oh, I see it on this website, it looks pretty cool, and then just print it off and use it and not taking the time to really like analyze it, then that's very dangerous too because then we're teaching kids wrong. And of course, you know, as teachers, we don't want to teach our kids the wrong thing. You know, we don't want to establish those bad habits. And of course, you know, students are very tech savvy now. They can Google anything. So you don't want to be, you know, teaching this song that's really rooted in minstrel songs, right? And then your student goes, huh, let me look it up. And they find this whole Wikipedia article on, you know, blackface. And, you know, I mean, they're probably going to think, you know, but my music teacher, but you don't want them to assume, wait, is my teacher like, are they promoting these ideas? And, you know, it could just be this spiral of things you just don't want to put yourself into. So for me, when it comes to things like that, if it has a little bit of history in that, then I go, mm, no, just don't even bother. I'll make my own song up about bananas or something like to replace it. Um, but yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's really important to understand, you know, our positions and our perspectives too. And then when it comes to researching material is really dig deep into who put it together? Like, are they really using authentic voices? Um, did they truly ask someone from that culture in that country to, um, you know, put it together? If it's a folk song from, you know, from um, some book, but you can't find the author or the composer, then I don't know, maybe put it aside, maybe email certain people or go into other resources where they could lead you to other places that do have um, the people who put together. So yes, there's a little bit of research done with that, but um, I feel that that work is just so, it's so essential because then we just are going to continue this cycle of, oh, you know, more, I don't want to say it like this, but more whitewashed songs or like, oh, here we are mispronouncing this language again because we didn't look carefully into how it's how it's said, especially with some languages. Like if you slightly pronounce mispronounce it, then it could mean a swear word and not the word you're actually trying to say. Um, yeah. So doing a little bit of that, that inner work too, inner work, as well as looking into the people from that group. I would. Can I, I want to say something. Um, for me, I think the biggest thing is just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that also takes a lot of humility and having a teachable spirit because we don't know everything. And I think that's, it's so important for us teach, teachers to model that. And like, for instance, uh, like, I don't know everything from the Filipino culture, or Korean culture and, and it's okay. But I think also 
it's important for me to be uncomfortable of saying, hey, kiddos, like, I, I don't speak Korean, but we're going to learn a Korean song. Or I don't, I don't speak Spanish, but we're going to learn a Spanish song. Or I don't know this, but for the kids to see like, wow, my, my teacher, my teacher is trying. And, you know, it doesn't matter the skin color that you have to be an influential teacher. It doesn't matter because you can have like an, like you can have a Hispanic teacher that is not an influential teacher. You know, you can have a, another person. So at the end of the day, it has to do a lot with your philosophy of education. Do you, do you want to pursue the spirit of excellence? Do you want to be a teacher? I, I, we talked about this in, the, in our episode. Like, do you want to be an influential teacher? Someone that makes change, that contributes in a positive way to education? That's who I want to be. When I die, I want to be remembered as like, wow, like she was influential. Like, I want to be like her. I don't want to be like, oh, like, I, oh, this teacher, she was so mediocre. No, it's not about that. It's not about the color or who it, or or what you're teaching. It's like, how are you doing it? Hmm. I mean, that was all very well said. And you hope that more people take those sentiments to heart, you know, and not just, you know, the sentiments, but also the the action that those sentiments necessitate you hope they take those words and they run with it and follow exactly what you said which will hopefully lead to children who are um in a better frame of mind in a more uh open frame of mind in a more uh what's what i'm looking for and i'm in i guess it's just a better frame of mind right i mean because that's really the, the best way to affect change is to affect children right i mean unfortunately there is a point where there are people whose minds you cannot change. So it's, it's best if you try to affect that change at the youngest possible age so they get a deeply rooted belief in whatever it is that you're trying to teach them. Because I mean, we all know, I mean, there are people of a, of a generation and it could be just one generation prior to us where it's like, okay, you can speak to them till they're blue in the face. It's not going to change their mind. They're set in their ways. And therefore the way to change the future is kids and you guys being teachers of um, younger children are in a place to affect real lasting change. And I think that's, that's very, it's a powerful experience, especially if you're the ones actually doing it, you know, being you guys. Um, so with that, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with some of the songs that you guys wanted to talk about with your uh, playlist that you put together. And uh, real quick, I'm obligated to mention by Sean that <laughs> we are on Instagram and on Instagram, we are music speaks underscore podcast. And on Twitter, we are at music speaks underscore pod. And on Facebook, we are music speaks podcast. Three different ways of saying the exact same thing that I don't fully understand. Okay. Um, so we'll be right back after the break and stay with us. All right, we're back and we're going to check out Nora and Darlene's playlist. And the first song we're going to listen to is from Nora and Nora gave us Potential by Pearl Botts. Mm -hmm. So Nora, the first question is to you. Uh, when you listen to music, what speaks to you more, music or lyrics? 
I first gravitate to music, but then I put attention to the lyrics. Mm. So yeah, okay. first music and then lyrics. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm glad because I have a bunch of lyric questions to ask you. So I, I didn't, oh. I didn't feel bad about asking you. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Shoot. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. So this song came out in 2009 as a single. Mm-hmm. And how the beat is so relaxed, but yet mm-hmm. so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just really adds to her voice and her talent. Um, what do you like about the song? Okay, well, first, Pearl Bot is one of my good friends. So shout oh, out okay. to Pearl. I wow, saw yeah. this as an yeah, so I saw this as an opportunity to showcase her talent. And uh, two, what I like about this song is what it says. You know, like it, it starts about her just like describing what she sees in this scenario, like just like in the atmosphere, but then talks about just potential, the potential of of just like anything in general. I think the word itself, like she even called her album like potential because there's mm. there's so many routes that you can go with that word, you know, and right. every person can interpret it differently. Right, right. I think that's a, that's a beautiful sentiment. And something that she ends the song with, I think was really cool is I got a good feeling about you, which sort of just echoes its way to the end and sort of just mm-hmm. fades out. Initially, I was like, does that have a deeper meaning? And I was trying to be like very profound and be like, maybe it has a different sort of feeling. But I think, um, what did you take away from that? Well, I should ask Pearl, but my, my <laughs> thought, <laughs> Pearl, was there like a deep meaning to this? Uh, Phone but a friend. I think, <laughs> let me call it Pearl. Uh, but I think it's more than anything, like a love song you know like oh like Mm. the what if you know (laughs) right 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 that's that's such an interesting take on on of love songs too like in a way you're sort of asking or just thinking about like what could happen to exactly to something i think that's so interesting do you want to talk about that a little more or do you feel like we can move on we can move on (laughs) we can move on (laughs) okay no i was just excited So I, I, again, I love this song. It was just so different. And it was just so like, like, again, it, it just had this, it's like, it was just so ambient with like, it's time. It was just, just so open, which I thought was just yes. so creative. How does she achieve that? Do you think? If you don't mind me you know, asking. Yeah. Well, actually, fun fact, uh, Pearl was actually a music educator. Uh, she did the, she went to the same college that Darlene and I went to and we, yeah, like she, but then after that, she just like decided that she was going to focus more on like just writing music. And I think one of the things that like everybody tells Pearl, like, wow, you're so talented. Like you're (laughs) going to go so far. And that girl, I'm telling you, this girl is so humble yet so talented so smart oh my goodness when you hear that woman talk like like you just want to listen you know what i mean like she's that she was in 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 the tory program and that was where like they uh, they would read like socrates philosophy like wow. she loves all that so for me it's just like i feel like that's why her words are so powerful and 
it, it makes it so poetic too and so meaningful and everybody can interpret it differently. And I think that's what makes it so powerful, her music. Right, right, right. So Hunter now is going to talk about uh, the next song, which is from Ashley Emerson. Hunter? Indeed. So Darlene, you chose a song by um, Ashley Emerson called Gonna Have to Be Me. And often encountering artists so you know happens so much by happenstance and i believe they're a british band and featuring a um featuring a british singer uh wait is that the song no i'm sorry that's a different song <laughs> reading the wrong note i wrote it in the wrong place um you know i was reading that and i was like wait what <laughs> that was actually supposed to go for your other song we're gonna be taking that out of there that okay. is okay uh, so this Sorry, question Robert. is actually for this one. So I hadn't heard of this artist before, which isn't saying much because quite frankly, I know nothing about modern music. Um, where did you first hear her? So just like Pearl, Ashley is another friend from college. Oh. Um, so shout out to her. Um, she did not major in music, but she and I were in a band together in our college years. So I was of course on the keys and she was of course singing. And then um, but yeah, a few years later after she and I graduated, she had this, she was just, you know, writing some songs and she even had asked me to play piano for her, for some of her songs and some of her gigs. So I was pretty familiar with her little singer songwriter process. And I remember she had an EP release party and wow. she was singing songs that weren't on the album. And this was one of them. This wasn't going to be on that EP. And I remember her doing it. I'm going like, okay, okay. And I'm like, actually, why, is this, why isn't this on the album? Come on. And so eventually she recorded it and then she put it on. And I'm going, finally, she has it. Um, yeah, she kind of almost reminds me of like a Corinne Bailey Ray um, in a way because she has some you know, good slower songs too. But this one, I'm just, it's just one of those feel good summer songs that you just want to turn up in your car and. Um, I remember actually when she first performed it, it was acoustic. But then I thought, no, I think this needs to be a little bit more oomph into this one. So I was super happy when the song came out. So yeah, me supporting another another um, singer-songwriter friend. Oh, that's very cool. It's cool that you guys have like relationships with, with singers. Uh, like, I'll, I'll say quote-unquote professional singers. Um, because obviously they have albums, which makes them more professional than us. Um, <laughs> so we can make an album, just all, all four of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll call it Zoom. <laughs> yep. Yeah, perfect. Um, <laughs> so now I'll go to, <laughs> I'll, I'll toss it over to Sean now for one of Nora's songs. Sure. So in that same vein, Nora, do you know Ed Sheeran? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she calls him up all the time. Yes, like, yeah, he's my best friend. Let me call him Ed. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, so Darlene, I've been doing a lot of um, reading lyrics, and the lyrics have sort of become this sort of like, Nick, uh, Hunter, how did I describe it the other day? What did I say? They it feels were, like he's reading slam poetry. Slam poetry. So if you oh. feel, I'm going I'm to read some of uh, his, his writing. So if you ever feel inclined to add a few snaps in there, you're more than welcome oh. to as I finish up this, oh, right. uh, this. Here we go. So he has LA on a Saturday night in the summer, sundown, and they all come out. 
Lamborghinis and the rented Hummers. The party's on, so they're headed downtown. Around here, everyone's looking for a come up, and they want to know what you're about. Me in the middle with the one I love, and we're just trying to figure everything out. This is a really deep song on so many levels. Um, what, were, what were your thoughts on, on the opening, opening lyrics, if, if, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. Well, the interpretation that I take when listening to these lyrics is that we live in a society where like being rich or being, having all the materialistic things makes you like popular, makes you liked. But one thing that I appreciated from this movie is like, sorry, movie, sorry, song. <laughs> yeah, movie. What I appreciate from this song is that it, it's like, it's focused more on like knowing the person, like loving them for who they are. Mm. And I think that's at the end of the day is like, you get old, you know, the be beauty fades, what you end up with is the heart and love. So I don't know. That's what my, right. I think. Sure. And I think, I think in that same vein, the song also says that people are ugly or people aren't beautiful, maybe not ugly, but mm -hmm. I mean, aren't beautiful. And I think that sort of attributes to them saying that the lifestyle that they have may not mm -hmm. always be as glamorous as we think and Absolutely. sort of pokes at that idea. And um, when I think, hopefully I say his name right, Khalid, when he comes in, um, he, he just adds a great sort of like, his voice is amazing and is incredible. Um, but when I just think about the song, the song just has this sort of vibe of um, feeling vulnerability of, mm -hmm. of Ed and how life should be. What do you take yes. away from that? What do I take from that? Um, well, as you mentioned, uh, I think we live in a place where we just, it's a facade sometimes, you know, a, perf a person can paint a, a perfect life, but no, it's, it's more than that. And I think like you mentioned, it's important for a person to also be um, vulnerable and being transparent in where they're at mm. in the seasons that they're currently in. And yeah. Right, that's absolutely true. I agree with that. Uh, and Hunter's also nodding his head. So I, I feel like I, I have sort of reached with him on another level of Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanna ask my, as my last question, have you seen him live before? No, I haven't. No? Okay. Well, when was the first time that you were introduced to Ed Sheeran? My best friend, Ruth. She listens to him a lot. Actually, okay, I have to be honest. I don't really listen to a lot of, like, secular music. I just, like I said, I tend to be a creature of habit. <laughs> I listen to a lot, like, Nora Jones and, and, and Natella Forcard, you know? And I'm actually surprised that I didn't, like, send out, like, some of their songs but you know Nora uh, Jones does a really really good like she sings really good standards music like uh yes. you know 60s 50s jazz mm -hmm. she's very good at it yeah and I love her not because she has my name like no like oh. I love her <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even make that connection I only like artists if they have my name <laughs> oh Darlene I feel like that'd be very difficult for you well, Darlene Love. Um, there's Darlene Jack, the Christian artist. Yep, those are the only two I know. 
Uh, didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Nora. I want to mention to our listeners that if you want music, we are going to attach it to their playlist. And on their podcast, you can go check it out. So I do encourage you go to please go check it out because it's so interesting and their songs are awesome. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to just continue with the rest of their song. So don't go anywhere and stay. All right, we're back with Darlene and Nora. And Darlene, we're going to check your next song out. And the next song is Rather Be by Clean Bandit. Um, and as our listeners are wondering about my friend Hunter, Hunter had to leave. And now I have to ask him about something real quick. He wrote, it's not a household name. And where did you hear it? Darlene. So I first heard of Clean Bandit back in 2014. So I remember... Back then, I was listening to a lot of radio top hits. And I remember this particular song, Rather Be, was the first one that came out. And I remember just that intro with um, the violins. I go, okay, this is already very different. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. And I, I just feel that, especially with a lot of radio songs, it's very difficult to find lyrics that are kid-appropriate. And so... Usually when in my choirs, I always try to find modern songs that didn't come on the past like 10 years, but something a little bit more recent. But I always struggled with that. Like, oh my goodness. Like, I wish they would ask me, can we do this song? And I go, no, because they mentioned things that I'm not even going to say right now. <laughs> so to always encounter a song with, you know, clean lyrics and a clean message is just, just ah, refreshing. Like, Thank you for this. So, yeah, I love the, I love the message of, of this song here. Right. In that same vein, I used to drive junior student teachers to a placement for, uh, for grad school. And they would be like, some of the kids would come in and be like, can we please listen to Old Town Road? Or something like that. <laughs> of course. Like, of course they would. Right. And they would feel like, I feel like I want to listen to more, you know, but yeah, it was just funny in that same thing because because like you said the lyrics are just you know in that same thing um he also says Incur uh, encountering artists is often how so by happenstance a british band and an english featured singer um he wrote where did you hear them first if that if that makes any sense did i just answer this earlier sorry I'm oh like... <laughs> no absolutely yeah, did like... I was I like, just I'm getting deja vu. <laughs> I'm just I just basically rewrite the question. <laughs> All right, okay. here we go. He he writes, I really like the orchestration of the song. The mix of electronic sound and instrumentation is very cool. He writes, what speaks to you about it? Well, what I like about Clean Bandit is that you really do hear a mix of you know live instruments and you know, digital sounds. And that's just a reflection of our music world today like you mm. whenever you do hear songs on the radio it's not always you know an orchestra in the background you'll hear um you know some loops here and there and i feel that if that's the kind of music that our students are listening to then our music education curriculum should start taking note of that 
and acknowledging that as yes, like this is making music when you're using um, digital sounds, when you're finding these loops, when you're, well, some people might say quote unquote fake drums, but I mean, if it's providing <laughs> the backbeat of your song, they're drums, even if they use a spoon, <laughs> like as I mean, mm. I remember Billie Eilish in her song, oh, I'm blanking out right now, one, one of her songs, um, some people thought, oh, is that like a snare in the background? But it was actually like the click of like the crosswalk instead. And I mm. thought, oh my goodness, they're using sounds around them to create this. So I, f I just love the creativity behind that. And I feel that when I heard this, I thought, yeah, at first I thought it was just like, oh, is it just like an orchestra? Like, no, okay, I'm hearing a little mix. And I feel, yeah, that this is the, the route that, you know, music, I mean, has been taking and... I feel that classical conservatories should take note of that and go, okay, this is what what's going on in the industry and how can we kind of not necessarily tailor to that, but, you know, almost find that bridge. Right. Absolutely. No, I totally agree with you on that. And in that same vein, I move on to the next song. And Nora, this one's for you. Uh, we're going to talk about Where Is The Love by Black Eyed Peas. Um, and Hunter writes, um, are you a Black Eyed Peas fan in general, or do you just like the song? Oh, so, oh, you're muted. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, it's all right. I like the song. Um, I really don't listen to Black Eyed Peas, just the song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um so this song seems to have a very in-your-face message, which mm -hmm. I think he wrote down. I'm not really sure about that because I haven't listened to it, but I will listen to it after the podcast mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. confront him about it if it's not. Um, <laughs> what would you say the message would be from this song? I would say that this song is about the lack of love that there is in the world and um, how to fight against racism that took mm. took place and is taking place in our in our country. Um, like in the lyrics, you will find uh, of kids joining in gangs, and he kind of just paints a picture of what society looks like. But then, like in the chorus, you keep saying, like, where is the love? Where is the love? And I think the point of the song is to make people realize that we as humans should be spreading love and not hate. And, like, to stop discriminating one another and, you know, make this a place where it's safer and where we can express our issues and we can... We can listen to one another and that's what i think it means <laughs> right and it has a universal message like yes. where is the love asking mm -hmm. like maybe begging even just mm -hmm. wanting it more and understanding why it's not around us because i think that's also an issue today too people just mm -hmm. being careless and not having empathy for others and not trying to understand mm -hmm. their stories you know do you want to yeah. talk about that a little bit well, yeah, sure. Uh, well, this song, I re it speaks so much truth. And I feel like the reason why I love it is because I can connect to it. And 
it speaks a, like for instance there's a verse that says um you know what is it wrong information always shown by the media negative images is the main criteria infecting wow. the young minds faster than bacteria kids want to act like they want to be in the cinema or there's another part that it says it seems that the youth are easily influenced by the media this leads to the rise in juvenile crime and violent acts and for mm. me i mean it's it's true i was i'm a story to tell um but i think at the end of the day it's not about us judging or or trying to feel superior of one another it's about really um seeking to understand and more right. than anything to extend love and um when you when you love you you want to make sure that you understand and you put judgment aside you know unconditional love when you love somebody unconditionally you're not going to put buts or ifs you're just going to love the whole person not just mm. a part of them right absolutely and i think something you mentioned about media is kind of interesting because for a while i felt that the only news that i could really is from comedians if that makes any mm -hmm. sense you know i would sort of find a way to cope with what's happening um, mm -hmm. So I would trust in like a Stephen Colbert or like a Seth Meyers to just like mm -hmm. dumb it down for me, but also make me laugh. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that I, I feel like I enjoyed about taking in the news. But then I realized that that's not the real way to take in the news. And it's easy to do that because it's so accessible through YouTube. I mean, like YouTube yes. used to be like my palace. Like I've spent so much time there watching so many things. But just maybe I felt like now... I would want to read something and just be updated about, you know, doing this podcast has helped me sort of understand that. Like I need to do the research and do this today. Like you guys are doing every week, you know, and I think that's my job as a podcast host to be informed about my decisions and what's happening around the world right now. And I think you said it perfectly in that same vein. And I'm really excited about talk about this next song. Cause I actually did listen to this one. <laughs> um, so this one is called, um, Brown Out by Ruby Ibarra, and it is from her album Circa 91, and it was written in 2017. And um, Darlene, I needed to listen to this about three or four times to just really inhibit the sound of it. Because initially when it started, it just took me back. Like it was like, I heard children playing, and then I had the woman talking. And then I heard a singer right before it. It was sort of, it was, it, I don't know. It was like this sort of like layering effect that then after the sound went away, you sort of, we, we, and we did talk about the ambient sounds that were sort of all with music. And we did sort of talk about that a little bit. Um, so my question is, uh, what do you sort of take away from the opening? I, there is something I do want to mention later on about like what the woman says, because it, it is noteworthy to talk about that. But what did you sort of take away from as a helicopter is flying over my head right now? What, what is, what, what do you sort of take away from the message in the beginning? Yeah, I feel that's really important that you mentioned that opening because I feel with the message that um, Ruby is portraying in not just that particular song, but also her whole album is Filipino culture and of her story of how she would 
grew up in the Philippines and then moved to the United States and trying to understand this, you know, this new culture being in America while also still trying to find her identity in being a Filipina. And so what um, what I loved about the opening with this is just really set the scene. It wasn't like, okay, here I am, I'm going to start <laughs> rapping. Because I feel like, I mean, there are some songs and that do that. But I right. feel that especially with the story she's trying to tell, she really wants to immerse her listeners in the perspective that she's in. And that's kind of like what we talked about earlier about listening. But mm. I feel also part of listening is you kind of have to bring them in into your little bubble to, you know, right. to mention the smells here, like mention, you know, what what the weather is like, what are different things you hear in the background. Then you start to get a deeper understanding of, okay, where they're truly coming from. Um, so I just love what she did that, how she did that in the beginning. And when I first heard that, I immediately thought of my cousins in the Philippines when I would visit them in their in their villages. I was just immediately reminded of you know, seeing them play and I would hear people um, in the background. So for me, that it gave a sense of familiarity in that and then also because i knew of her of her overall story before i listened to it it also gave me a little bit of a flashback when i was a child too um because growing up my grandparents started living with me when i was six years old and my grandpa was always singing like in like in the back he would be singing like hymns just out he would just be singing in his chair and going i've come to the garden i'm like where is that coming from but and then my dad was i mean my my family wasn't really they weren't super musical but they would like to play around instruments and occasionally i would hear like my dad attempt to be a professional guitar player things like that so yeah it just really reminded me of of home and growing up all right and i need to ask a small but funny question um did you loosely base your rap technique off of her in your second episode <laughs> you know I don't even know if I did, if I did. It was like I mentioned in the second episode. I wrote it for an assignment because I thought I need to have something for my class. But I was thinking of Ruby Ibarra while I was doing it because you don't really hear of Filipino female rappers. She's probably the only one I can think of right now. Um, so I was kind of thinking of her of her flavor, but I thought, man, I could never be as good as her. Fun fact. <laughs> I okay back in high school um YouTube stars were really big and I was in charge of coordinating a fundraising concert and so what I did was I went on YouTube and you know these you know these artists would you know do covers of songs and I really liked this specific group I'm like oh you know they're Filipino like this cool <laughs> Filipino girls and I emailed them and say yeah sure we'll come to your high school and perform there were these two girls one of them was Ruby <laughs> <laughs> and and she even did some you know raps there and then like oh wow. she's so cool and then like fast forward several years I'm going oh my gosh she has an album out <laughs> so it was, it was just so cool to you know kind of see her from her her very beginnings and see her now right well I hope I made the connection right because when I listened to her do some of her technique it just sounded like you had maybe modeled some of her her work off of what you were doing, which is really interesting because I was listening back to your episode and then listening to this and I was like, hmm. So I wanted to be <laughs> kind, of, kind of a theorist in that way, but I, yeah. it was so interesting. And it was so funny that Nora brought it up in your episode 
episode because I guess, did you have an idea that you were going to do that? Yeah, she kind of surprised me in doing it. I thought, (laughs) fine, we'll do it. Because, I mean, if here we are in in our podcast trying to bring people to be comfortable with discomfort, why can't we do that with ourselves? You know, I mean, we tell our students, hey, like, we know this is going to be a little bit challenging, but let's try it. Like, then we need to practice that in in the little things like trying to rap or trying to learn a TikTok dance or anything (laughs) new. Um, Yeah. So so it's all Nora's fault. I'm I'm pointing the finger (laughs) at her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, now getting to more or more of a serious vein, um, do you want to talk about what you think brown out means? So brown out is basically like what I first think of brown out. I think of my, what my parents would say when there'd be a blackout, they would say brown out instead. And then I think, oh, interesting. And that ties directly to, um, this Filipino, culture of praising the light skin and Mm. I remember going to a Filipino grocery store and there's this huge mural of you know just different different paintings of you know Filipino families and all of them were the exact same light skin tone and I thought that is so weird but it's also so normal like when you go down the beauty aisle you'll see you know pictures of Filipino women but they're all you know pale and it's just so normalized to see that light skin when in reality a lot of Filipinos are um more or more tan um, and then, sure. you know, we do have, and there are Filipinos who are of the lighter skin and they are just the ones you're like, oh my goodness, you're light. Like you need <laughs> to keep that skin like, like it's gold or something. Sure. Um, and that's, and that's just something that I feel. And we also address this in our episode that's really deeply rooted in, um, our colonization because you know the Philippines they were conquered by Spain and they were conquered by the United States and you know mm-hmm. those nations you know were you know centered on light skin and I feel like because the Philippines had went through so many years of being under someone's rule that they couldn't quite really find like themselves and so it's like well these people are taking over us they're light skin I guess this is the whole standard of beauty um, and so yeah it's just trying to also tell the story of hey there are people out there who are judged for just the color of their skin even in within our own culture too right right um question is i i don't really know how to describe this next question because it does sort of talk about what the woman says something that she says i think is kind of striking and i think we should talk about it and something that she says is i and i hope i wrote this down right um, you'll get ugly if you're dark. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. it. Um, I hear that and I just go, yes. Yes, as in, not necessarily that I agree with it. <laughs> like, I don't think, oh, yes, I am ugly if I'm dark. <laughs> but more like, I've heard that so many times. Like, ask any Filipino child. And if you say that sentence to them, most likely they'll say, oh, yeah, we probably most likely have heard that before or have heard you know, someone tell that to another person. So, so it's in a way from very familiar. It, I mean, even hearing that accent, I mean, 
I hear the accent and I'm going, is that my mom speaking? <laughs> like right there in this recording. So it, it resonates for people like me, like it resonates so much. It feels right, so right. like, oh my gosh, this is like a flashback to when I was playing outside as a kid and, you know, getting darker because that's what the sun does to your skin. And then right. immediately coming back going, no, like you didn't put sunblock or, oh no, now you're tan, now your skin's ugly. Um, and I can see why it comes off as harsh to other people if they have not experienced that because it is harsh to be seen as not beautiful because you decided to tan a little bit, especially in American culture when if you do get a tan, it's like, ooh, where have you been lately? Have you been to the Bahamas or Hawaii? So I've always found that so odd. It's like the exact opposite here right, you know. and so i feel like as a filipina growing up in the united states where getting tan skin is praised there was this conflict of okay right. not right. only am i getting i'm getting darker so that's ugly but for some reason here in america <laughs> like they find that beautiful and like what do you do with that as a child but in a way it's almost affirmed that dark skin is ugly because like i said before in the supermarket and in media you see more mm. light skin praised. Right. And so, yeah, there's that statement. There's like seeing it in, you know, everywhere else, children's illustrations even. And it's, yeah, I heard that and I thought, wow, like this, this needs to stop. <laughs> That's where I thought, like, this is very familiar, but oh man, this needs to stop. <laughs> Nora, did you want to add anything? It looked like you wanted to say something. No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I just want just just wanted to make sure I wanted to clear all the bases. Just make sure that I didn't want to leave anyone unsaid with anything. Um, so sadly, we are at the end. Darlene, Nora, it is a pleasure to know you guys. It has been so cool talking to you about music and about your ideals and your experiences. Is there anything you guys want to talk about before we get going here? Nora, Nora, anything? Nora. No. <laughs> uh, drink lots of water. Take your vitamins. Um, yes, please. Wear a mask when you can. You know, all the basics. Yes. Wash your hands. <laughs> and keep listening to each other. And yeah. Well, beautifully said, Darlene. And um, again, thank you guys. Is so much you guys have done so much in so little amount of time i've been so impressed with your work work ethic and i hope that i can continue to do something like that and continue to talk about experiences and stories that really matter to the world today so thank you again so much for being here our guests are or are sorry our audience members would love for you to come back so if you guys would love to come back and and do a another deep dive i'm happy to have you guys back on i'm sure hunter would too so thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you very much, ladies, for your insightful and generous contributions to this podcast and the field of music education. Let's hope that everyone got as much out of your discussion as we did. Next time, we will sit down with Jessica Small talking about being a saxophonist and getting her doctoral degree. My name is Sean Ramkunis. Punch is gonna. He's over there in that box over there. So, see you next time. <laughs>